Hello and welcome to episode 67 of the Women in Confidence podcast. Today we have a very special guest, Melissa Kelly, a psychology expert and sobriety coach for high achievers who want to change their drinking habits. Melissa has an impressive background having completed her PhD in consumer psychology and then left academia to build her sobriety coaching business. After quitting drinking in 2020, she has dedicated her life to helping others change their relationship with alcohol without judgment or labels. Melissa's coaching practice is based on the frameworks of cognitive behavioral psychology, which allows her clients to empower themselves throughout their journey by focusing on what is in their control. She's also the founder of the Sober Girls Island community, which hosts virtual and in-person events for sober and sober curious women in Ireland. But that is not all. Melissa's new podcast, Working Sober, is the go-to show for high-achieving professionals who need practical tools on changing their drinking habits. On the show, Melissa highlights success stories of people who transform their careers off the back of quitting drinking. She's also a professional speaker, providing keynotes on topics such as the link between alcohol and success and limiting alcohol to boost productivity and well-being. So sit back, relax and join us as we dive into Melissa's experience and expertise on sobriety coaching and how high achievers can change their relationship with alcohol. So Melissa, hello and welcome to Women in Confidence. Thanks very much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat. So I just think it would be really useful because and I also I get really excited about this, just telling everybody where you are at the moment. So despite the accent, I'm actually living in Ireland. Both my parents are Irish. They were born, they met in the US where I was born. There's a big Irish scene over there actually in Philadelphia. So that's where they met. And I was born in Philadelphia. Both my brothers were born in Philadelphia, and we moved over to Ireland whenever I was eight years old. So we lived there for five or six years before moving back to Philadelphia, to the same place, same suburb outside of Philadelphia. And so that's where my immediate family live now. That's where my mom, dad, brothers live now. But the rest of my family is over in Ireland. And so I did my high school and my undergraduate degree in psychology in Philadelphia. And we can get into my story a little bit more, but I decided to go to Ireland to do my master's degree. It's so much cheaper. I have dual citizenship. It was definitely the right move. And I was only meant to come over here for a year, but I ended up loving it so much that I decided to stay. And now I have a boyfriend and a dog and a house, a beautiful house that I live in in the Irish countryside. And that's where I've set up my business and everything. So I'm here for the foreseeable. You were just talking about how nice and sunny it is over there. And I'm just sitting out, looking out at the rainy, cloudy day ahead of me. And it's like, mm, sometimes I do it does tempt me to go back but yeah for now I'm definitely happy here lovely and it sounds amazing um even if the weather's not so good today so Melissa how I like to really start the conversation it gets us really warmed up to the theme of confidence is is asking this question so what does having confidence mean to you for me it's really about and I am a scientist and researcher by nature so I like to do things in processes And there actually used to be a five-step process for building self-confidence that I used to teach for like my audience on social media, just in masterclasses and things. And it really just breaks it down very simply for me. So the first step is making strong decisions. And then the second step is following through on those decisions, right? And having your own back through those decisions and being able to cultivate the self-trust that's often a component that comes within self-confidence. 
and being able to feel the discomfort of that as well. I think confidence to me is following through on the decisions we make, even when it's uncomfortable and being willing to experience that uncomfortable emotion, whatever it is, in order to reach your goals. So that, I think that pretty much sums it up for me. You talk about strong decision-making uh, as part of building confidence or being confident. When was the last time you feel like you made a decision that was proud of, or you feel it was like a really strong decision? Um, a few years, it's a few years ago now, but I made a very strong decision to leave research in academia after doing my PhD. I had spent, oh, sorry, the bin men is just outside right now. With my I can't hear anything. I was studying psychology in my undergrad, and I've always been interested in the brain and behavior. And what I really wanted to do was research. And it took me a few years to get there to the point where I could essentially get my dream job in research. And that's sort of, I did my master's in Ireland and that really set me up for getting an amazing job in research. I was able to get a job working as a researcher at a top university. Um, it was actually Queen's University, which is in Belfast, which is technically part of the UK, while doing my PhD at the same time, which was fully funded. So I was on like an amazing salary, getting to do my PhD and working as a researcher. I got to travel. I got to go to amazing and exciting conferences. But with my journey, I kind of always struggled, and we can get into this, with my drinking. So I felt like I was almost living this double life. I was feeling super isolated and lonely in my research job during the week. And in order to escape that at the weekends, I would turn into this party girl going out, drinking, socializing to try and compensate for the lack of connection and the lack of belonging that I felt at the university that I worked at. And for me, whenever the pandemic happened, I ended up quitting drinking. That's another strong decision that I made. But once I quit drinking and I was able to kind of sit with all of my emotions and really take a look at for the first time in probably like 10 years, okay, take a look at who am I? What do I actually want? Because I felt like I was just constantly taking the next step, taking the next step and being pushed through a door that I wasn't even sure that I wanted to go into that room. And I was able to take a few minutes to gain some clarity. And I realized that I didn't like my research job at all. I was obsessed with entrepreneurship for years and years and wanting to start my own business. Both my parents run their own businesses. And since I was living in Ireland at the time, I wanted to be able to travel back to the US and spend time with my family without asking somebody's permission. And so it was a very difficult decision because I was getting interviews and I actually got a job offer for another great research position once I finished my PhD but there's just something nagging me and it was just like don't do it you know like you can always go back to it if you really want to and so I decided to leave research in academia after doing my PhD that was at the end of 2021. So how long were you in academia for then how long does it take to go from your sort of like your bachelor's master's PhD how long was that whole time? My bachelor's was four years and that was in the US. So that's pretty typical. Then I took a year out and I worked as a behavioral therapist for a child with autism. Um, it was just kind of like the first job that I found and got offered and I just kind of took it in a panic. It definitely wasn't what I wanted to do. I was um, working in a school and although I loved the child that I was supporting, it just was not fulfilling at all for me. And it just was not what I wanted to be doing because as I said, I had strived to 
be a researcher. And I, looking back retrospectively now, can see that a lot of the reasons why I wanted to pursue research was because I saw that as a very successful and prestigious career on the outside. And I was really focused on how that would look to other people, how smart I would come across to other people. And I can see now looking back that that's kind of what drove me. But so I did that. I did a year after my undergrad working as a behavioral therapist. And then I decided to do my master's in Ireland, which was one year. And that was the end of 2018. And then in the yeah, in the beginning of 2019, that's when I started my PhD in working as a researcher. And so that was three years. It was actually supposed to be three years. I did it in two and a half um, because of the pandemic and different things like that. Thankfully, I had collected all of my data for my thesis and my research before the pandemic, because as a psychological science researcher, it's like a lot of in-person focus groups, and that would have been very difficult to manage after the pandemic. So I'm glad that I got that out of the way first. So one, two, three, four, seven years. Wow. <laughs> seven years That's total. A, that is a long time. Now, you said something really interesting that I want to understand a bit more. You said about being a researcher because you felt that was it was around other people's opinion of being a researcher and being at the pinnacle and like a really great job. When did you actually think, hang on a minute, am I doing this for me or am I doing this for what other people might think about me? That really came off the back of me quitting drinking in 2020. I can look back now and see that I was constantly chasing those accomplishments, chasing those degrees, constantly wanting to have that sort of prestigious career, that successful career woman, traveling, going to conferences. Like I was very focused on what it looked like and how I was being perceived by people in my life, as opposed to getting clear and understanding, like, do I actually like what I'm doing? Because whenever I did that, which was after quitting drinking, I took a look at everything in my life. Because whenever you quit drinking, you kind of go through a metamorphosis of, you know, developing a new self-identity and you have to get to know yourself in a whole new way because you don't have alcohol to cope with difficult emotions. And so I got a lot of clarity from quitting drinking and confidence too, because I wouldn't have, I don't think I would have been able to make the jump from researcher to business owner had I not went through the process of quitting drinking because before I quit drinking, my confidence was at an all-time low because I was constantly making and breaking promises to myself. And that can just really drag down the belief that you have in yourself and your perceived self-worth and all of those things. It was really whenever I quit drinking, I was able to look back and see that I wasn't enjoying the work that I was doing at all. I found it to be quite lonely. It was a lot of independent work. And that's fine. Like as a business owner, there's always work that you do by yourself. But I really value meaningful one-on-one -on -one conversations like the one that we're having. So that's why I decided to start a coaching business because I love having conversations one-on-one -on -one with people. And I love being creative using social media and connecting with people online. And I wasn't really finding much connection. And that's just my personal experience. I'm not saying anything about, you know, the community of researchers or academia in general, but it was just my opinion that um, I found it very difficult to connect with people. Since I had moved there to do that PhD, I didn't really know too many people in that area. And so I don't think I even, I didn't really make any friends or anything like that. So that was ultimately what I realized looking back on things was I was more concerned about how I appeared to other people because I was trying to convince them to believe something that I didn't believe to be true about myself, which was that I was successful or good enough 
or professional enough, something in that nature. But then I assume by getting a master's and then a doctorate as well, people were then reinforcing that by saying, oh, you know, Melissa, you're so smart, you're so clever, you know, you're so successful. But yet you actually didn't feel that. So you were seeking their endorsement, getting it, but actually really wasn't adding much to you. As a psychologist, yeah. I know you didn't study sort of that sort of psychology, but I mean, what does that say to you where you're just constantly seeking the reinforcement, but when you get it, it doesn't actually change how you feel about yourself? I think it just reinforces that circumstances don't control our feelings, right? Because I we live in this land of, it's called the arrival fallacy, where I'll be happy when I get the degree. I'll feel successful when I get this job. And we're convinced of that, right? Because of marketing and because the way that we're socialized and different things that we see growing up, but our circumstances don't change our emotional state. That's always going to come from the way that you're thinking. And if you change your circumstance, you get that degree, you get that partner, you get that house, whatever it is you're telling yourself that's going to make you feel better. If you get that, but you don't change the thought patterns that you have, which are always looking towards the negative, looking towards what you're what you don't have, how you're, you know, exploring how you're not good enough, that won't matter once you get reach that goal, because your default thinking pattern is to focus on what's wrong, what, what can you do more of, and never actually rewarding yourself and validating yourself. And I think that, you know, that's a journey that I've been on actually recently is figuring out how to detach myself from the external validation, because I have been very much driven by that, driven by the award, the degree, but it's almost like a, a cheap thrill because, and its cheapness is evident by how short lasting that feeling of pride is, right? Because you're always like, whenever I got my degrees, I was always on to the next thing. I didn't even really take time to be proud or celebrate getting my PhD. I was on to the next thing. I was starting the business and not trying to get clients and things. So it's definitely um, a practice or a habit that needs time to develop and it's not something that comes naturally to me I know it doesn't come naturally to a lot of people so and you're working at that on a constant basis then are you because you know if you know yourself really really well what are you putting in place then to say right Melissa you're not going to end up with you get the business and you get the clients and you get the you know the revenue and then you're on to the next thing so what what are you actually doing to make sure you don't do that and just chasing the rewards so in terms of business, I've had my business for about a year and a half now. And so as an entrepreneur, you're always thinking about revenue and pricing and money. And it's it's a whole new ball game to go from being handed a paycheck to going out and creating money by creating value for your business. And so for me, for a good part of my business, I'll be 100% honest because um, I know so many other people struggle with this. I was really caught up with the money drama and using pricing as validation, right? Like, oh, if if I'm not charging X, Y, Z, then I'm not valuing my worth or whatever people tell you online. So for me, it's been super helpful to change my goals. So I don't necessarily have money goals. Yes, I have revenue goals that I need to hit for my business to, you know, pay for my life and my rent and my food and all that stuff. But I have more important goals that I can check into every single day. And some of them, there's two main ones, which is to become the best leader that I can be and to help people every single day. And I know that if I can show up every single day and do both of those things, whether that's 
coming on here and sharing my story going on. I use a lot of social media to share my story and to provide value and training and masterclasses for my audience. I lead a, I'm the founder of Sober Girls Ireland, which is a community for uh, sober and sober curious women in Ireland. And we hold weekly coffee chats and different events that are coming up. And so I choose to lead those and just lead myself too, right? How did I lead myself throughout my day? Did I follow my schedule? Did I honor my commitments? Or, you know, maybe today wasn't the best day. Maybe today I betrayed my schedule and how do I want to work on that moving forward? So I think that looking at what your goals are and having and exploring your reasoning for those goals can be very informative and we don't need to judge ourselves for whatever the response is. But for me, whenever I kept asking myself, like every coach, I think, has that goal, like, oh, I want to make 100K, right? And it's such an important question. But to be like, why? Why do you want to make 100K? Because I want to have a bigger impact. Okay, why? Just keep asking yourself why until eventually you'll probably be in tears and you'll or you'll probably be like, yeah, why? Why does that matter? Like, because I was believing that I was going to prove something or finally, I'd be able to be proud of myself. I was withholding pride for myself until I reached my goals. And that's my little typical pattern that I get into, withholding pride until I reach the goal. And it's like, no, we can be, how can we be proud of ourselves right now? And just getting into the daily habit of asking those questions. And instead of expecting a big external reward, like the dopamine hit, similar to drinking, learn how to drip feed yourself positive reinforcement all day through the way that you're thinking and talking to yourself. You're so right about that sort of 100K, whatever, million or whatever, six figures, five figures. You know, it's all, you know, every time I go on Facebook, LinkedIn, you know, all the socials, it's like, this is how I made, you know, X, 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 X. It's not how I became happy, how I find joy in what I do. So some of that is that ex- external validation because you can probably then go on Instagram and go, look at me, I've made 100K this year. It's really hard not to be sucked into that, though, when everybody else is like, blaring about what they've earned whether it's real or not yeah so can we talk about your business and what you do and just to help me understand and also the audience understand what your business is and how you came to decide on this business yeah so whenever I first started my business I originally started a career coaching business helping academics transition into non-academic career paths because they say you know teach what you know. And that's what I was doing. And so I found some clients there and started working with people pretty much right away, which was nice. And so that was most of, or half of 2022. That's really what I was doing. I was just learning how to, first of all, you know, work with clients. I've got my background in psychology and behavior change. And so I was using the principles or the, the, yeah, the principles of, cognitive behavioral psychology to help people change their behavior and think about things differently. I wasn't necessarily writing resumes or anything like that. I was more so like a career confidence coach, teaching people how to trust themselves, make confident decisions about their career. And it was great. Like I had a lot of fun doing that, but there was always something nagging me like, this isn't really it. And I had thought about doing sobriety coaching in the beginning But I had all of these stories that I was telling myself, like I wasn't sober enough. And then there was part of me as well that kind of wanted to take a step back from that community for a little bit because I found myself getting too wrapped up in it, especially the first year that I was quitting drinking. I spent a lot of time consuming social media content with by sober people and in different Facebook groups. And I think I just needed needed a little bit of a break from that. 
as I was telling you, I do share a lot about my journey on social media. And I kept getting people asking me, hey, I'm struggling. Is there any way you could help me? So I started taking on some one-on-one clients who wanted to quit drinking or change their drinking habits or explore their relationship with alcohol. Because I think those are all very different things because of the different reasons behind them. And I was just finding it a lot more fulfilling. I could really step into my zone of genius there whenever I was coaching my clients who wanted to change their drinking habits. And then towards the end of 2022, I really decided to make that pivot. I guess that's another strong decision that I made. I decided to make the pivot into rebranding myself as a sobriety coach for high achieving professionals who want to change their drinking habits. And that's really what I do. So we focus a lot on what are your current drinking behaviors and habits and taking a look at why you're engaging in those behaviors, because behavior change is far more complex than just changing your behavior, right? There's so much beneath that because as humans, our emotions drive our actions. So we need to take a look at why you're having the emotional desire to drink. And that's coming from the story that you're telling yourself about drinking, which is hundred percent in your control to change. And so we just change the narrative that people are telling themselves about their drinking, right? Like different stories, For example, like alcohol helps me relax. Alcohol is like drinking wine is me time. Different stories that we have that are not facts. And if we actually challenge them, we can see that if alcohol truly helped you relax, would you wake up with a hangover the next day? Right. And really taking a look at those stories. So that's what I do now. And as I said, um, I'm also the founder of Sober Girls Ireland. So they kind of go hand in hand where I run virtual and in-person events for sober and sober curious women who want to connect, find community, because there was no community here in Ireland, really, that I could find. Um, So I decided to create it. And I also have my podcast that's coming back. It was a a different podcast whenever I was um, career coaching. So I'm bringing it back with a fresh new look next week called Working Sober. And that's where I'll kind of explore different practical tools and mindset tips that you can use to take a look at your desire for drinking and change the habit. And as well as that, having on expert guests and great professionals who have successful professionals who have changed their drinking habits and had a lot of career success on the back of that. So yeah, lots going on. I know, yeah, it sounds like you were very busy and I'll put the, the link to your podcast in the show notes so people can go and check it out. So I have lots and lots of questions about what you just said, Melissa. So I guess for for me, can you help me understand what sober means or sobriety means? Um, Because I think it might mean different things to different people. What's your view on it? My view is with my coaching specifically, I'm not one to say you have to label yourself or put a label on anything that you're doing. And I just think that the word sober is... It's a bit subjective, right? Because there's many different interpretations of that. You could be sober from alcohol, sober from drugs. You could be sober and still smoking weed if you live in California. They call it Cali sober, I think. So there's so many different interpretations. But in my opinion, it's just you're not drinking. Because there's in the sober community, there's kind of, there's recovery and there's sobriety. Because you can be quote unquote sober, you can be free from alcohol. But if you're not really doing the underlying work to dismantle that desire that you have for alcohol, you're feeling miserable the whole time. It's sometimes referred to as a dry drunk, like you're still in that mentality of 
using willpower to stop yourself from drinking, feeling like you're missing out on something, feeling restricted, feeling like the world is unfair because you can't drink, staying in that mentality. And then there's recovery, which is doing the work to heal yourself, to heal your relationship with yourself, to dive deep into the stories that you've created around your life, around alcohol, and stepping away from that victim mentality that we can sometimes fall into when we believe that our emotions and our life trajectory is at the effect of, you know, the circumstances of our life. I use the word sober because I think that as a keyword, it's very helpful. And so that's why I try, that's what I would search if I was, whenever I was quitting drinking. Um, But there's so many variations of it. People use the word alcohol free, non-drinker. I'm not somebody who would necessarily meet someone and find out they're not drinking and say, oh, I'm sober too. I would honestly, I would say, oh, I don't drink either. Like it's not really a word that I use in my personal life that much. For business, for online communities, I think it's definitely a great word to use to find your people because it kind of all goes under that umbrella of people who don't drink. So you said that some people drink and you used an example of it helps me relax. You know, I, I can think of social occasions you go to and there's lots of drink and it supposedly helps you relax. When you were drinking, what did you use alcohol for? Um, I'm an anxious leaning person. I have a mind that goes a million miles a minute. And for me, it was kind of like a, a toxic cycle that I was in with drinking because I would have anxiety and I would drink to quiet the anxiety. And I can even just go back to the first time that I really drank, which was probably when I was like 17 or 18 years old. The first time I drank, I didn't just have one. I got drunk. Like I got really drunk. I drank a couple. I think it was like boxed wine. <laughs> you know what that is? Like the wine in a bag that comes in a box. So really whatever we could get our hands on. <laughs> but I remember drinking a couple even though it tasted horrible drinking a few glasses of that and being like oh my god this is amazing like that part of my brain that's usually telling me you're weird you're different because I had moved so much in my life I struggled sometimes um, socially I felt a bit socially awkward struggled to feel like I belonged a little bit even though I had friends and even though I was shy but I was able to talk with people and make, make friends and stuff but I was like, oh my God, this uninhibited version of me, I can do whatever I want and I can talk to the people that I want to talk to and I'm not feeling nervous. This is amazing. And so for me, that's sort of the social side of things. And so I used alcohol to help me with social situations ever since I started drinking. But then towards the end, I realized that I was just using it to cope with my life, my the loneliness I felt at the research job, the lack of fulfillment, the lack of connection the boredom that I felt because I hadn't developed any new habits or anything since, you know, in my twenties, I was studying, I was working and I used to be so involved. I was, um, I would play piano, I would run, I would swim. I was in the choir. Like I had so many hobbies and they all kind of got brushed to the side whenever I started drinking and understandably like going to college, working, all that stuff that you have to do as an adult I realized one of the first times that I went a weekend without alcohol, I was like, I am so bored and I just want to drink because I'm bored. And I I wasn't bored because I wasn't drinking. I was bored because I hadn't filled my weekends with fun things to do to stimulate myself. So ultimately, I think it boiled down to drinking to cope with my negative emotions and drinking to enhance positive emotions, right? Whenever I was out with people, 
and just not being able to manage my emotional life really because I was afraid to what I would find there I think if I sat with them and help me um, understand sort of illustrate to me what was drinking to you was it a glass of wine as soon as you know the clock ticked to five was it every day all day help me understand what drinking was like for you before I do tell this what I was drinking specifically I know that so many people and people even maybe listening to this might be having that question in their head like am I drinking too much Mm. because that's something that comes up and there's no standard definition of too much if you look to health guidelines if you look externally to find out what drinking too much looks like. You'll find guidelines from different health and health agencies and governments. You'll find opinions from other people online, but it really, the better question to ask yourself is, is the amount that I'm drinking now serving me or not serving me? And that doesn't matter how much you're drinking. Um, But for me, it was mainly the weekend drinking. I would say that I was binge drinking every Friday night Um, sometimes on a Saturday night, I didn't trust myself to drink during the week because I found it very difficult to stop once I started. And I was usually still recovering throughout the week from my big blowout at the weekend. It was kind of just like, you know, the way in college you go out and you're looking forward to the weekend all week long. I think I had just gotten myself into that habit of the week is boring. We just have to trudge through and then it's the weekend and we can drink. And we can have fun and this is my time and this is my time to relax, see my friends, hang out, do something stupid because I felt like my day job was so, you know, professional, structured, organized, and I could kind of not be myself in air quotes, but I could let loose on the weekends and I didn't have to hold myself to that kind of standard. So mainly for me, it was binge drinking on the weekends. And if I went away on holidays, I would, you know, drink a lot. But the the thing was like, I was go I was 26 whenever I quit drinking. And so my drinking behavior didn't look different to the people that I was with. So that's what kept me stuck for a really long time. I was like, well, everyone else is literally drinking as much as me, going out, drinking like a bottle of wine and a couple of beers while you're out, probably like six, seven, eight, nine, ten drinks on a night out. That's quite normal in Ireland and in the US. And my friends were basically drinking the same amount as me. I did often want to carry on the night longer and just keep drinking, but ultimately we were all pretty much drinking the same amount. It was just my hangovers were so bad. I wouldn't be able to get up the next day and I would get physically sick, like having headaches, throwing up, all of those things, just feeling like death basically and wasting the entire day. If I did have plans, I would cancel them and feel guilty all day. If I didn't have plans, I would lie in bed and feel guilty all day. And then Sunday, I was usually still recovering and feeling so anxious, worrying about what I had did and said, because blackouts were part of my story as well, not remembering things. I think for a long time, I I felt a lot of shame about that too. I felt like there was something wrong with me and other people were judging me and I shouldn't be behaving this way. Like I'm a grown woman now. I shouldn't be blacking out like this. And so I carried around a lot of anxiety and shame from what would happen whenever I was drinking. And it wasn't even anything crazy. It would just be like FaceTiming my friend and not remembering it. Like I didn't really do anything too crazy. And then the rest of the week was just spent being an anxious mess. And three years before I actually did quit, I started looking up like recovery blogs, sobriety forums and recovery podcasts and stuff because I had taken a couple of weeks off in 2017 
after like a really bad night, I knew how much better I felt. I felt felt much clearer, more confident. The anxiety practically dissipated. I mean, it was at such a high level that just quitting drinking for a few weeks completely built that down. And so I had this knowing that I felt so much better without drinking as well. And so I was starting to worry like, why am I not able to quit? And then I entered that whole cycle of I'm not doing this to myself again and going to quit only to be back drinking that next weekend because I just, um, I realize now I was just relying on willpower to quit. I wasn't actually addressing the underlying thoughts and feelings that I had about drinking. So it was just the default for me to go back into that drinking habit. It was easier for me, although it wasn't serving me, to keep drinking. So that's how I kind of stayed stuck in that cycle for a few years. And do you recall the moment where you were like, right, Melissa, this is it? Was there a moment or is it just, I don't know, tell me, I don't know. Was there just a, a lightning bolt? and you're like, right, I cannot do this anymore. I'm going to stop. And it, And you did. I mean... I did have a lot of those moments, right? Like after certain events or a really bad hangover, or even if I just woke up feeling super sick or having a headache from just a couple, because a couple of drinks even would, you know, have a really negative effect on me mentally. And I would tell myself, right, I'm not, I can't do this to myself anymore. I had made that declaration so many times that it began to wear so thin and not really have any weight, not have any meaning to me. But there was, since I am, you know, almost three years sober now, there was a day where I was like, okay, we're actually doing this. This is, we're actually going to put the work in and quit drinking. And there was still a part of me, like, I didn't know that that was going to be my last time that I had that conversation with myself. Looking back, I was just very determined to do things differently. I wasn't expecting to be sober for as long as I was because I originally just wanted to take 30 days off. I didn't plan on, you know, forever or anything. I just wanted 30 days to kind of reset myself and find a bit of clarity and try to develop a new relationship with alcohol. And um, whenever I did quit drinking for the last time, you know, the last night I drank was nothing crazy. It was during the pandemic. I had a bottle of wine while watching Vanderpump Rules, which is a, is it Bravo TV? Bravo TV show, reality show. Like I think I FaceTimed one of my friends at like two o'clock in the morning, but I woke up hungover feeling so sick. And I just remember looking at myself in the mirror because I was crying and I was like, what am I actually doing to myself? And I was so exhausted because I had had this conversation with me, with myself over and over again, but I was just so much more determined. And I knew that I had to do things. I knew I had to do things differently than I had done it before. I started checking in with, um, there's a, a Reddit thread on Reddit, obviously (laughs) called stop drinking and it's an anonymous forum. So you can just write in and be honest about what you're going through but they also do a daily check-in every single day they'll say good morning it's you know april 26 2023 i will not drink with you today and you kind of make that pledge and i found that that was super helpful to be able to check in there and i just told myself like this is the one like i'm not going to go to the zoom happy hours anymore i'm just gonna stay in my little bubble here and really just focus on not drinking and getting to the root of why I'm drinking and like just filling my head with the stories of people who have also done this and keeping those very close to 
my proximity. And I also was smart about it and was like, if I'm craving a drink every Friday night, why do I keep expecting that the Friday night that I tell myself I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to have that craving. Like it's going to be there. So how am I going to plan for it? And I started drinking alcohol-free drinks. I would go for a long walk after work on a Friday and listen to recovery podcasts. And by the time that I had done that, I felt so much better. When I came back, I would just take a shower, eat dinner and go to bed and wake up without a hangover on a Saturday. And that's really what got me through those first few weeks. It's just my time going out on my long walks, listening to my podcasts and waiting in excitement for the hangover free Saturday, which I felt like so smug about being hungover free, hangover free on the weekends. Cause I was like, so used to just wasting my weekends. I was like, there's so much time. What am I going to do with all this time? So yeah, that was the last, but I didn't know that just by, you know, vowing to myself, I'm not going to drink because I had broke that promise so many times. And so all these people who were used to you drinking, you know, binge drinking on Fridays, Saturdays, when you then stopped drinking, how did they react to you? I was very fortunate that everyone around me was very supportive. And for, I'd say like six months to a year before I finally quit in May of 2020, I had shared with my friends how badly drinking was affecting me and they could see it. I was almost like a shell of a person just trying to make it through. Um, like aside from drinking, just like in day-to-day life, I found I was just really mentally struggling and I had told him about the anxiety that I felt the day after drinking and how horrible that was. And I had been talking about that for months beforehand. And so they really understood that the reason why I was quitting and they could see how much happier I was once I got rid of alcohol um and like my skin just got brighter I was exercising more so my mood was better I felt just like a more confident version of myself because I was following through on the decision I made even though it was uncomfortable like even though I had cravings in the beginning um but I had created safety for myself to have those cravings and know that it's just really at the end of the day it's just an emotion and if I just sit with the emotion and allow it it's not going to be there forever. And eventually I just got better and better at practicing sitting with my cravings and not drinking to um, respond to them. And my friends could see and everyone in my family could see how much happier I was. My dad's also, he was uh, sober for 10 years. So I think there's a bit of like alcoholism in my family. So everyone around me could really notice the benefit of me. At the time I was just taking a break, but um, they could just see how much happier I was once I quit. And you said when you were drinking, you sort of wake up, feel you'd be in bed probably, you know, quite a bit of the day, you know, the shame, the anxiety. But you also said, you know, when when you stopped drinking, you realized there were so many more hours in the day. How did you then fill those hours? Well, in the beginning, it was interesting because it was the pandemic. <laughs> the reason why I think I actually quit was because I quit six weeks into the pandemic and it was every Friday night during those six weeks. I had told myself that I wasn't going to drink, but then I ended up drinking, breaking that promise to myself and waking up with a, an accidental hangover, not even having left my house six weeks in a row. So I think that eventually broke me down. But I was just so, I was running, I was doing long walks. We had really nice weather in Ireland whenever I went during those first few weeks of the pandemic. I also, I wasn't somebody who made 
sourdough or banana bread, but I did do a little cooking challenge for myself because that's the only thing that we could do, really. I started just tapping back into my hobbies. I started reading again. I hadn't been able to read for so long. I was just doom scrolling on social media every night to kind of distract myself because I was just constantly living to distract myself from my emotions, basically like over like emotional eating during the week, scrolling social media during the week. And then it got to be the weekend and I got to drink and have the hangover and at least being hungover distracted me from um, how I was feeling. But I remember one of the first weekends that I quit drinking, I had to literally, I was sitting on the sofa. It was a Friday night and I was so bored. And I was like, I have not felt bored in 10 years since I probably like eight or 10 years since I started drinking. And I think that our emotions are so like, they're such good teachers because if I had not allowed myself to feel bored, which I hadn't for years, I wouldn't have had the incentive to get up and do something about it. I think that's why negative emotions can be so powerful because they're always trying to teach you something that you need or you want, or that's going to improve your life. And if I hadn't have sat there with the boredom, I wouldn't have gotten up and started having making new hobbies. I started blogging. I started writing about my experience. I started sharing it on social media. I started making new friends online through the networking community that I was in. And despite everything that was going on in the world at the time, I actually, looking back, I'm kind of quite nostalgic for it because it was such a proud time for me. And I felt like I was finally getting my life together, which I had been trying to do for so long. And I was doing it. And so I was just reveling in that the entire time, basically. <laughs> so what do you say to people when they, who are listening now, maybe, or actually come to you when you're coaching them and, and they are exploring sobriety? Where, how do you get them to start focusing on themselves? Because, I don't know, maybe they come and they're like, I just want to stop drinking. And that's, it's the, it's the action. And you say, oh, no, no, no. It's actually the thought process behind it. Where do you get them to start on that? I think a very easy way of pulling up the story that you have around drinking is if I tell you, okay, then don't drink this week. All of the thoughts are going to come up as to why you maybe don't have a problem because sometimes we have that negotiation with ourselves. Um, some of the stories that you have about not drinking, which is like, I'm you know, missing out on something. I need it, right? All these things that we can tell ourselves. And ultimately, the reason why people stay stuck in that cycle for so long and why I stayed stuck in that cycle for so long is because I was relying solely on willpower to quit drinking. And willpower is your ability to delay short-term or to delay short-term temptations to reach a long-term goal. So you're constantly resisting the temptation to drink. But the thing about willpower is you don't need willpower to stop yourself from doing something that you don't want to do. Like if you're not a smoker, you don't have to worry about cigarettes being in the room and you picking up cigarettes and starting smoking them, right? You don't need willpower to stop yourself from smoking. And so that's where a lot of the negative emotion comes. It's when people try to quit drinking and they're relying on willpower to stop, they're constantly in resistance to their emotions. They're not even present with their emotions because they're still focusing on the story that they're denying themselves something that they want because you need willpower to resist temptation. But if you're, so what I like to do is to get to the root of that desire, figure out what are you, what are the stories or the thoughts that you have about alcohol, about your life, about your work, about your family, about your friends, 
that is playing into this desire to drink and then just becoming aware of those and being aware that those are not facts of life. Those are just your thoughts can just immediately give people so much clarity there around their relationship with alcohol. And I think that that's an amazing place to start and to realize it's not just like a click your fingers overnight thing. For some people it is, but for most people it takes time to kind of dismantle that habit because your brain is going to want to stay in the familiar, in the safety zone. And drinking right now is in your safety zone. Your brain doesn't have to create new neural pathways. You don't have to do anything new that's going to cause an emotional reaction from yourself or uncomfortable emotions. And so your brain, even though it's not serving you, it's easier to stay where you are, but it's recognizing that there's uncomfortable emotions while you're staying stuck in the cycle of quitting drinking. And then there's also uncomfortable emotions as you grow and develop a new relationship with yourself without alcohol. And it's just a matter of realizing, well, it's, it's uncomfortable either way. So wouldn't you rather go after your goals of quitting drinking or changing your habits, whatever that is? So in my head, I'm thinking, does self-awareness lead to sobriety or does the sobriety itself make you more self-aware? And maybe there isn't an answer to that, but yeah, I don't know. What do you think about that? I think that you need a level of self-awareness, I think, first and foremost, to be able to recognize or decide that you have a problem because at the end of the day you're the only person who can answer that question if you have a problem or not and then I think that as you quit drinking you begin to cultivate a new relationship with yourself especially if you work with me you're much more in tune with how you're thinking getting back in control over the way that you're thinking about your life which is a great way to empower yourself is making those small decisions about how you want to go about looking at your life and thinking about your life. And I think that that in and of itself brings self-awareness because you're not just on autopilot mode all day long, which is kind of how I would describe most people whenever they're stuck in that cycle of quitting drinking. It's like, you're just doing the bare minimum. You're just making it through the workday. You're making it through the evenings and you're not really present with yourself or aware where you have the ability to make different decisions. So yeah, that's a very interesting question. And how do you work with your clients then? Do they come to you on a weekly basis as needs? Is it five weeks indefinite? How do you like to work with your clients? I like to work with my clients one-on-one for like a 60-minute session each week. I have a I have right now a six-week program where you also get Voxer support, which it, Voxer is an app that's used a lot in the coaching space. It's an app where you can send private voice notes and text messages in between sessions. So those are a great way of contacting your coach. Um, If you are struggling or you'd like some extra coaching on something, or if you're executing on something that we discussed during coaching and you need a bit of help working through that. Right now, I currently have a six-week container, but I'm also opening a three-month container, so a 12-week container, mainly focused more on controlling your cravings and changing your habit of drinking. So the six-week program is kind of, it's called the six-week sober reset. And that's really just getting back to basics of understanding where you are at with your relationship with alcohol and how you want to change that. What's a byproduct of that is you do learn how to control your cravings and manage your cravings, which essentially is just learning how to sit with your own emotions. And that's really the work that I do. I say a lot that 
the inconvenient thing that happens when you quit drinking is you have to feel your feelings. And so that's really where a lot of my work comes in, a lot of emotional processing, going back to um, not believing that your emotions are at the effect of your circumstances and seeing where you can take control by changing the way that you're thinking about your circumstances. And then I also recently just created a 28-day email course. That's for somebody who is not necessarily ready to work one-on-one with a coach, but wants to dive deeper into exploring their drinking habits and healing that relationship with themselves. And there's a bit of psychology and neuroscience in there too about understanding cravings and some exercises, journaling prompts, lessons that you can take away to help you make that change to your relationship with drinking. Great. And I'll put all the details about that program in the show notes. So I've got a couple of really sort of quick fire questions, really. They probably won't be quick fire, but we'll go with it. (laughs) So the first one is, if you could speak to your younger self and say anything to her, what would you say? Oh, what would I say? I mean, it's a bit cliche, isn't it? But I'd say stop caring what everyone else thinks of you and start paying attention to what you think about you. Because I think a lot of what I've done throughout my life, and I don't think this is abnormal, I think a lot of us do this, is playing by the rule book of what other people are expecting or what other people are going to think about us, which is so funny because we don't know what other people think about us. We're just creating a story about what other people think about us. And most of the time, that story is just what we subconsciously think about ourselves because that's where the story is coming from. I think that we can recognize that with kindness and just kind of get curious about, oh, why am I thinking that other people are going to think that about me? But I was so focused on controlling the way other people felt about me because I sometimes felt a bit out of control with my life. And yeah, other people's opinions are circumstances that we do not have the power to change. And yet we spend so much time focused on them, especially me as you know, my younger version of me was definitely concerned about that. And I feel like as soon as you enter your mid-20s, you're like, wait a second, I don't actually care what people, well, this is my experience. You're like, wait a second, it actually doesn't matter what people think about me. Because I had to overcome that um, obstacle again whenever I was, first of all, whenever I was posting online about my sobriety journey and whenever I was quitting drinking, because I was concerned. I was like, oh my God, are people going to think that I'm, you know, an alcoholic or I have a problem or what are they going to think about me? Are they going to be like, oh yeah, well that makes sense. Cause she was out of control. Like when they find out that I quit drinking and then it happened again when I started my business. Cause I was like, who does she, my thoughts were that like my work colleagues or other people would be thinking like, who does she think she is? Why does she think she can go start this business? Nobody's going to buy from her, blah, blah, blah. And then again, with my business, it came up when I had, well, I didn't have to, but I started posting social media content to educate people and nurture people and help people who are in my audience, um, who want to work with me and like sharing my work. And so that was another challenge. It was like, you're so cringy. Why are you posting all this stuff? Your friends are getting annoyed at you for posting this much. This is embarrassing, right? Like, all the thoughts that we have about what other we think other people are thinking about us. And I would just tell myself, stop worrying about that. It doesn't matter. You can't do anything about it anyway. Whether you're staying quiet and doing your research job or whether you're out there promoting your business on social media, you still can't control what other people think about you. So why even bother worrying about that? Yeah, good advice. So my next question is, you're baking a confidence cake. What three ingredients have to be in there? 
do you ask this to everybody? No, I don't know where this has come from. It's like a different person. <laughs> okay. A confidence cake. I'd say resilience has to be in there because a lot of the time I think that we assume confidence comes before we take a big massive action towards something, but it's often the byproduct of us doing the scary thing and just holding space for ourselves to make it through. So resilience, compassion for yourself, not beating yourself up along the way, because a lot of the times I think we make, make up stories when we're on a journey of doing something new that we need to be perfect at it right away or it's going to be a complete failure. And I think having compassion for yourself on the journey just makes it so much more fun when you're not beating yourself up. And curiosity as well kind of goes hand in hand with the compassion. But I think that confidence is your willingness to experience negative emotion and not make it mean anything negative about you. Meaning being able to feel the discomfort, let's say if you're on a sobriety journey, being able to feel the discomfort of sitting with your urges to drink and not responding with them with a drink and not making it mean that because you're having an urge that you're never going to be able to do this sobriety thing or because you're feeling anxious, you're never going to be able to have a successful business or whatever it is. Our emotions are just a normal part of the human experience, and we add a lot of unnecessary suffering when we judge ourselves for having those emotions. Whereas if we just let them be and got curious about why we might, why this might be happening with compassion, then we can figure out what are the thoughts, what are the beliefs that we hold that are creating those emotions, because they're usually subconscious beliefs that we have about ourselves or our surroundings that are creating that emotional experience for us. And we can learn from that. Emotions are our best teachers. I think I said that earlier in this episode, but it's really true. And if you're just willing and able to sit with them, you can learn so much and you can only learn so much if you're willing to get curious about them and not beat yourself up for having them. Yeah, they're really good. Resilience, compassion, and curiosity. Brilliant. I'm going to ask that question every time now, because that's just revealed (laughs) so many interesting things. So tick yeah (laughs) note to any future guests be prepared for that one I really like it so so to wrap this conversation up what's your one piece of advice and we'll focus really on sobriety because I think that's a really important topic and and something that's really close to you personally what's your one piece of advice for someone who's listening and thinks I really want to go I'm curious about sobriety I I know for sure I'm going to go down that route what would you um, advise them to do I would advise them to tell somebody I think that we carry around a lot of shame um, when we're not sharing our story with people. And I found that every time that I told somebody, whether it was a stranger on the internet or a family member or a friend, whoever it was, whenever I started to tell people what I was struggling with, I just slowly started removing those layers of shame that I had around my drinking that kept me stuck in the cycle for so long. And I think there's so much value in just sharing what you're going through with somebody else, because a lot of the people that I spoke to whenever I was quitting drinking, just in my personal life, a lot of them responded with, yeah, I'm kind of thinking about something similar. Like I'm kind of going through something really similar right now and definitely trying to pull back on my drinking. And many of my friends have pulled back a lot on their drinking. I'm 29 now. And I think that everyone's kind of over the hangover. (laughs) will say 
just having those honest conversations with other people, because I think in conversation, you can learn so much about yourself because they'll probably ask you like, oh, why, why are you exploring that sobriety journey? Or why do you think that you want to quit drinking? And you might not never have asked yourself that question before. And that's really important to know. So I think that telling somebody is definitely the advice that I would give to anyone on this journey or looking to get into this journey. Great. Thank you very much for that. And also thanks very much for being on the show, Melissa. It's been really, really interesting. And you know, just a world that I don't have a lot of knowledge about. And that one of the reasons why I love this podcast is I get to meet people like you who open my mind. But yeah, thanks for that. It's been amazing. Thanks for joining the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so fun to chat. Okay, that's a wrap for today's episode of the Women in Confidence podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Melissa Kelly, where she shared her expertise on sobriety coaching for high achievers and how they can change their relationship with alcohol without judgment or labels. And certainly I hope you like listening to her experience of why she came to sobriety and how she's kept herself in that position. Melissa's inspiring journey of quitting drinking in 2020, completing her PhD in consumer psychology and then leaving academia to build her sobriety coaching business is a testament to the power of mindset and determination. Thanks for tuning in and I hope you found today's episode insightful and motivating. Don't forget to subscribe to the Women in Confidence podcast to stay updated on our latest episodes and we'll see you next time.